With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here today with Carol Dobies. She is the founder and owner of Dobies Healthcare Group, and she's one of the class of 25 under 25 for 2016. And we're very happy to have her here today to talk about her business and to find out what she does. Carol, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Kelly. Happy oh, to be here. And we are so excited. We've been bringing all the 2525 on and hearing their stories again, and it's just been so much fun to keep it going. Now, you do healthcare marketing. What does that mean? That's a good question. <laughs> okay, I saw healthcare marketing. Healthcare That's marketing. A, yeah. <laughs> so, what that means is all of our clients are in the healthcare space, and we do marketing strategy and brand strategy for those clients. So, the common denominator is health. Mm-hmm. We might work with a hospital or a provider like a physician. We might work with a health insurance company mm-hmm. um, or medical manufacturers, the certifying boards, associations. So as long as healthcare is the common denominator, we help those companies come in, figure out their strategy, and then help build their brand. Mm-hmm. And you've been doing this now for somewhere between 20 and 25 years, and it's really made it your niche. Quite. Um, We've been actually in business for 24 years, and I figured this out just yesterday. So um, LinkedIn started filling up my inbox with these notes (laughs) of congratulation, and I'm thinking, okay, I know that May is my anniversary, but I had no idea that the 23rd of May was the actual date that uh, that we had opened the company. Um, And it was really exciting because not only did I hear from old friends um, and colleagues, but it just showed me the power of LinkedIn. Oh, yes. A couple of years ago, somebody else had, you know, I think it was Jerry Rutherford, good friend of mine, had said, congratulations. And I thought, mm, that's odd. And this year, I mean, my my inbox was just flooded. So really, LinkedIn works. Mm, it really does. And it's the growth. Like you say, a couple of years ago, you might have had a few acknowledgments. But now, when you hit some sort of significant milestone, whether it's your birthday or anniversary or whatever, you're just flooded. Yeah, absolutely. But a good, powerful reminder. I bet you felt good all day. It was pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. People people knew what you were up to, and, and boy, 24 years. Congratulations. That's a long time. It is a long what's time. What's your staying power? What's well, it been? What's my, you know, yeah. I think it comes down to one thing, mm-hmm. and it's passion. I absolutely love what I do, and I love the people I work with. We, we work with some wicked smart people, not only in the office, uh-huh. but our clients. Sure. And how fun is that to be around people who are smarter than you, 
all day long mm-hmm. who really help you build your knowledge as you keep going. It just it really makes a difference, I think. It, it absolutely does. Uh, you're constantly learning. You're constantly being revitalized by their energy, too. It's just this big circle you feed off of each other. What made you decide to narrow your focus to healthcare? You know, I think I grew up in healthcare. Did you? So, yeah, really, I did. My very first job, as I sit here in front of a microphone, was in public TV. Oh, really? And, yeah, and I was the public information director for a small um, uh, PBS uh, station out of Mid Missouri. I did that for about a year and a half, and then every single job since then, after that, had been in the healthcare sector. So I started in not for profit, and then I went to corporate proprietary. I went to an alliance of children's hospitals. So I had been in healthcare for so long, and my background was in, in journalism and marketing. So the two came together. And really, at that point in time when I opened the business, there weren't specialty organizations right. in healthcare marketing. Mm-hmm. There were your typical um, advertising agencies that focused on all kinds of different businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, still are. <laughs> you still are. Um, but there wasn't anyone really focusing on healthcare. Why, with all that background, did you decide to go into business for yourself? Well, gosh, i got to go in the Wayback Machine on that one. Um, so at the time that I started the company, I had been working with an alliance of children's hospitals, and I was traveling all across the United States uh, to help children's hospitals get into the home, home care market. Um, and in doing so, I had a three-year-old at home, a four-year-old, and I thought, this is just crazy. I'm on the road. I was trying to get my MBA, so I was studying at night, and it was just crazy. So I thought, hmm, this is a good time to move on. Um, and so what I did is I went to my client, my, my company, and I said, look, I think I can do some of this work for you on the side. Let's put together an independent contractor relationship, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go start my own company. And they said, great, go for it. And so, actually, they became a client of Mm -hmm. mine for some 20-odd years. Um, And so I launched the business um, so that I could stay off the road. Now, what didn't quite work out so well was at about the time that I opened up my company, I got a phone call from a client of mine in Baltimore, from a soon-to-be client of mine in Baltimore. He says, Carol, I heard you were out. I need your help. Could you come help us? build our home care product in the market? And I said, sure. So right out of the gates, I had our first client, and it was in Baltimore, and I (laughs) was back back on on the road road again. (laughs) (laughs) On the road again. Yeah, so that's been 24 years ago, and you have obviously morphed over the years. You know, every business, if you've been in business 24 years, you aren't the same company you were when you started, or else you wouldn't be here. Exactly. How has your company changed? You know, I would say that we've changed in a little bit. We've we've morphed a little bit of our products and services. You know, we started out as a traditional advertising agency, right? right? Mm-hmm. You know, promote this program, promote that program, put together marketing plans. Um, but what we shifted and we pivoted to actually doing strategy. So going in and helping a client figure out what is the strategy, what should we do, why should we do it, and think through that piece before we ever think about promotion. Mm-hmm. And so we shifted in terms of our products and services. Um, but you know what really changed for me was kind of our purpose, Kelly. Um, and um, 
so when I looked at when we started the company, the purpose was to good to do really good work. Mm-hmm. We enjoyed Noble. it. We yeah. had fun, right? Exactly. It was great. And to fill our clients' needs, and that just kind of kept us going. But then when we figured out that there was a greater good behind everything that we did, it shifted, and it really changed um, how we came to work every day. Talk to us about that a little more. When you say there's a greater good behind it, you're talking on a larger term. You're you're talking bigger picture. So talk to us about that a little bit more. So when I say there's a greater good, what I mean by that is every single person in our office comes to work every day because they know they make a difference. And, you know, a lot of people can say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the fact of the matter is is that they come to work because they believe they can change the way people think about their health and they can help people make better, more informed healthcare decisions. And the power of that's pretty significant because at the end of the day, when you can look at your scope of work and you can say, wow, this is going to help somebody make a better informed decision, it makes you feel pretty darn good. Um, and so that keeps us going. We actually took that, um, that purpose and we put it into our mission, vision, and all mm-hmm. that good stuff that you do. Um, But there's also a personal story behind this um, that is probably worth the connection. So in 2005, my son was diagnosed with cancer. And at the time, I didn't have a bevy of information on Mm -hmm. this particular kind of cancer. I didn't know much about it. And I had to find out pretty quickly. In fact, over a Christmas holiday, I had to figure out exactly what was going on, what was going to be the prognosis, um, how was he going to get treatment, what was going to happen, et cetera. Now, what was pretty nifty here is that I had um, a whole group of people who I could count on, who I could go to to help me. So in 24 hours, I was able to get access to passwords um, that would give me um, the medical journals that I needed that would help me fill my knowledge. I took a stack of papers to my friend's house in the middle of the night, you know, with tears running Mm -hmm. down my face and said, help me interpret all these words. So I've been in healthcare a long time, well, more than 15 years since, you know, 1982, I had been in the healthcare market space, but I didn't know any of these clinical terms. Right, right. Um, But in that process, I realized, oh my gosh, how many people like me and I'm in healthcare for heaven's mm-hmm. sakes. How many people like me don't have the ability or don't have the knowledge, don't have the right information to make that better healthcare decision? And that just changed the whole dynamic for me. Um, and it helped us really at work refocus why the heck we come to work. What, what was that process like when you decided to adopt that kind of a uh, an approach? What, what was that trying to get your team on board and talking with your clients? How did, how did that all work to create well, that know, shift? Kelly, it didn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. In fact, it took me, uh, what year is this, 2016? Mm-hmm. It took me about 10 years to even have that conversation mm-hmm. Um, publicly about about my son, um, and I think it was really through my um, Vistage group where they said, you know, you, you've you've got to think about what this means mm-hmm. because it's so integral to who you are and who you've become, and you need to put it into your business. So over time, we built that in, and I think now that. Um, Millennials are of the mindset of needing to be there for the greater good. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's perfect in that we can 
tie that reasoning together to to have it have a bigger purpose. Right. So it started off being something that was driving you personally as you went to work and worked on the business, but then it became, after a number of years, it became a very deliberate thing that you did where you introduced it to everybody, your clients, the public, your staff, everybody. So a kind of a two-phase approach there. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to be talking with Carol about uh, strategy first, which is what drives our company now. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Interested in growing your business? Thinking Bigger Business Media has the resources you need to grow your company to the next level, whether it's an aspiring business, a startup, established, or mature. Thinking Bigger provides the how-to strategies, critical connections, and key information to make your business more productive and more profitable. Check them out at ithinkbigger.com and find out what successful Kansas City business owners already know. Thinking Bigger Business Media is the resource for growing businesses. Visit them today at ithinkbigger.com. Every hiring manager knows that a company is only as good as the people it's made from. So where do you find the best people? That may surprise you. Meet the grads of life, young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. This is talent worth knowing about. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with Carol Dobies. She is the founder and owner of Dobies Healthcare Group, which is a healthcare marketing company. And she's been talking about how the company got started and what drives the company. And Carol, you said something in the first half of the show about creating strategies and that strategy first, I've heard you use that term before, strategy first, what does that mean? What that means is we come to the table with what are we going to do and how are we going to do it first. So um, our clients hire us to develop their strategic marketing plan. I cannot tell you how many clients we have um, talked with or prospects we have talked with who say, can you guys do an advertising campaign for us? Mm -hmm. And we'll say, what's your strategy? And they'll look at us and say, well, well, what do you mean? And, And so we are about what is it that we're here to do and why do we need to do it? And then if we're so lucky as to promote it and to do the creative that comes with it, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we rarely come to the table just for a creative campaign. We've been known to do it, um, but we're far more successful when we stay in that, what I call the strategy bucket. Has that been your approach all along, or is that something that's a little more recent, too? Did you evolve into that approach? You know, I think that's interesting because I think we started out as as mostly a creative shop and trying to put the the creative bow on things. Um, But at the end of the day, because my background has always been client side, mm-hmm. not agency side. Right. I think I always infused that strategy into our products. I just didn't know it. And then our clients would tell us that that's why they hired us. And it was like this aha moment that said, oh, well, I guess that's pretty important. Um, but now, you know, our clients come to us because they want to develop a brand new brand. You mm-hmm. know, they want to figure out who they are and what they stand for. Um, and they want to be able to go to market with that new brand. Well, most um, creative shops who would get that assignment would come forward with 
a new look, a new feel, the new energy behind it, new words. And, and we come to the table and we say, well, let's talk about who you are and what you do. What are your actions? Mm-hmm. What do you do in payroll? What do you do in HR? What do you do in training? What do, you, what do you do? How do you interface with customers and employees and everybody else on that operations side? And then let's talk about is that authentic and then how do we, how do we communicate that? Because if you don't have that sweet spot between um, operations and uh, brand uh, communication, mm-hmm. If you're not in the sweet spot, you don't have brand. Right. So we spend an enormous amount of time. I'm I'm using my hands here, Kelly, but we spend an enormous amount of time on the left-hand side of the circle in order to get the right-hand side of the circle in terms of what you say Mm -hmm. to be authentic. Right. Well, and if you spend so much time on the the left-hand side as you describe it, then the right-hand side comes so much more naturally because you've figured everything out and you can tell whether or not um, the results are really, um, you you can measure the results more easily is I guess what I'm trying to say. Exactly. And when you look at brand in that sweet spot in the middle, um, if you don't deliver every day what you say you're delivering, then you really don't have brand authenticity. Right. Um, so yeah, pretty logo and colors yeah. are not going to get it in the end. Exactly. Yeah. So we've been known to sit down with folks and talk about their culture, talk about their leadership, talk about then the ops and how that all comes together. And, you know, your typical, I don't think, your t- typical creative shop goes down that path. Mm-hmm. They really focus their energies on, on delivering some very amazing creative messages. But if... Mm, Exactly. Client can't deliver on it. Now, no you are primarily in the service industry. You might even say 100%. Um, and how do you scale that, though? That's something that, you know, sometimes we talk about with people is, you know, you can see how you can scale a product. You can uh, open new geographic territories. You can add more products. But how do you scale a service, which is what you're about? Yeah, it took me a long time to figure this one yeah. out. <laughs> Scaling is really difficult. And I don't, I can't even say that we've had it totally figured out. But about three years ago, we decided that we needed to look at how could we develop some sustaining sources of, of, of revenue, if you will, and how could we widgetize, you know, <laughs> in, a service, in a service industry, yeah, no. right? So yeah. how, how do we do that? So we took um, services that we had been doing for our clients and we pulled them together into packages. So the the first two packages that we pulled together were really about efficiency on our side, which was Brand Scout, which is all about all the brand components that we put into a package for a client. Mm -hmm. The second one was Marketing and Positioning Strategy, or MAPS, which puts together all the marketing positioning strategies into one for our own operational efficiency. Right. But the third one is really a service that we've packaged so that we can take it into market as a subscription service so that it can run on its own. It compiles data mm-hmm. and services, so it has both. But it has the ability to be recurring and sustaining over time, that and the, that product is at Atlas. Yes, that's what I thought you were so referring to. So that product looks at the data side, which is what is the share of voice, And this is basically a competitive profile for um, hospitals in 31 markets across the United States. We can only go to the big markets because that's where the data uh, leads us. But it is taking the share voice and the media mix and then marrying that with the creative assets. So we're able Mm -hmm. to go out and get creative samples of 
of TV, of print, of digital, and we analyze that and put it into an interactive book that has the data side and then has our analysis of the key drivers, the key messages, the key creative samples. And then for clients who can supply the data, we also embed their market share. Uh, most clients will have competitive market share mm-hmm. and um, awareness and preference data. So imagine having all of this in one place and mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. it updated every six months and being able to have it year after year after year after year. It just takes total burden off of the client for having to do all that manual labor. Yeah, and with the subscription model, it gives you a recurring source of revenue. Exactly, Mm -hmm. and you do it once, the second time it's easy, third time (laughs) it's a piece of cake, and so it's it's really really, um, the best of both worlds. And so when you look at our business plan, we we have one line of business that's really looking at where is that recurring revenue and how do we really scale there, but then how do we continue to do this custom work Mm-hmm. But it's hard to sustain the custom work because yes. it's all people-based. Right. It absolutely is. So you have this product now that you can offer. You are, you know, by all definition, you're a small company, and you're playing with some really big players. How Did you have trouble breaking into this marketplace because of your size? And it's a problem that a lot of small businesses have, to be taken seriously and be show that you can do the work and... So size has always been one of these things that has bothered me, but the boutique agency has just as much power, if not more, mm-hmm. than than the big business. And what I've been fortunate to do, which is part of my business model from, from the very start, is to align myself with key strategy leads who are independent professionals mm-hmm. who partner with us and work with us on a regular basis. So they're not employees. right. And I don't have to keep them on the payroll mm-hmm. 24-7. I don't have to wake up in the middle of the night and worry about whether or not I can meet payroll. But they are very strategic. They are business professionals who are smarter and better than me. And so when I'm able to take those kind of folks into market and for a client, that makes us play just as good as or better than big business. Right. And I remember you talking one other time about a virtual model that you use. And it's very similar to when somebody is going to make a movie. They pull the best cast of characters, the best director the, for that situation, and you're able to do that too using a virtual model. It may This person may be great, but not great for that project, but great for this one. And so you can always have the best in class. Exactly. The virtual mm-hmm. mo- model has really served us well. I think, you know, early on, I don't know if you know Kathy Dodd with oh, the yes. Corridor Group, but mm-hmm. Kath built her business on this model, and um, she and I started our businesses about the same time, but I then built the virtual model because I knew that I needed people who were creative, I needed writers, I needed all this talent and things that I couldn't do, Right. but it was going to be far easier for me just to, in the day, that was called freelance, right? Yes. Um, But now my virtual model are financial analysts, they're data analysts, they're managed care experts, Mm -hmm. they're uh, expert facilitators and coaches. So now um, that bevy, if you will, of virtual talent is pretty huge and significant, so I can bring those folks to the table anytime. Mm-hmm. The, the key was, though, I also needed to have a small cadre of really talented people in the shop. Yes. Um, so it was really important to make sure that I had those folks on board. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You make a lot of this sound very easy. I know it hasn't been, uh, but what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? So lessons learned. One, um, so back to Kathy Dodd. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that Kath told me was, 
gosh, Carol, the number one thing that I could have done, should have done earlier was to hire a chief financial officer. She's absolutely right. Wish I would have done that sooner. Mm-hmm. We now have a, a CPA um, financial leader on our on our team, and that's made a huge difference. In, in what way? Well, because she can come to or? the table and she can mm-hmm. advise us financially. She can look out for us proactively versus a bookkeeper. Sure. You know, who can manage the books. Right. And I'm not a, a financially oriented individual, so having that gap filled should have done it a long time ago. So that was number one. Um, the second thing was paper up. And what I mean by that is, you know, early on we learned the hard way that you had to have client contracts in place. You know, a lot of our business was written on the back of a napkin. And um, we had a lot of colleagues, knock on wood, you know, our business grew by word of mouth. So right. a lot of friends and colleagues called on us to do work. Well, at the end of the day, you still need to have a contract with those clients. Well, um, especially in your line of work. I mean, the scope creep can be enormous and just strangle you. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so we learned that um, somewhat the hard way. But so early, early on, a good 10 years ago, we had some pretty decent contracts in place. But then... I forgot about the whole concept of papering up your employees, mm-hmm. um, and that was a, a really hard lesson learned a couple of years ago. Um, it started by uh, we lost our our first our key strategy person in the house, so we are my key lead. Um, but it was a really good opportunity. Um, that person had the opportunity to move on to a new career. It was really exciting, and I was actually kind of proud of the fact that that there was a launch there and that, that this person was able to go on to a bigger, better position. Mm-hmm. But a couple months later, then the second person left, and and had I realized that I needed employee agreements in place, non-poaching clauses, mm-hmm. those kinds of things, I would have protected myself from that. So we're papered up now, so that's a good thing. Um, that was that was hard to bounce back from. Some companies don't recover from those sorts of losses. Well, fortunately, I had my virtual network, so I <laughs> called in my posse, um, and I have some amazing clients who who totally took it in stride, and um, I'm pleased to say that we bounced, and we bounced even stronger, better. Um, we had our very best year that year. We had our second best year the next mm-hmm. year, so it was it was a good eye-opening kind of an experience. Yeah, adversity can make you stronger. You learn from it, can, you know, really, like you say, you bounced higher. Where's the future for you? Where do you see yourself going in the company? That's a good question. So I had that. That's the third The third lesson learned is all about that exit strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we're going anywhere soon, but just the ability to know that you have an exit strategy in place lifts this tremendous weight off your shoulders because you have a plan, you have a number, you, you can follow it through. Right. And, you know, for years and years and years, my business colleagues would say, you got to have a number. You got to have, you know, the plan. And I resisted. But boy, once I had that and once I had that plan, amazing, amazing things. And so now we just say yes. And the future is a, a lot of growth for Dobie's Healthcare Group. It's taking our products forward. We have another one on the blueprint. It's launching that one hopefully in the next six to 12 months. So good things. What's your website? Dobies.com, D-O-B-I-E-S.com. Dobies.com. Go check out 
even more about what Carol and her virtual team do. Lots of good things. We just wish you much more success and want to hear about what happens in six to 12 months with the next launch. And I know you're going to go even further. Well, great. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. Congratulations again on the 25 under 25. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. And while you're out at our website, Carol set me up for this perfectly. We have a Selling Your Business Forum coming up on June the 23rd, which will feature a team of panelists who will help you put the the processes and people in place to sell your business when you're ready to later. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.